following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Good morning. Well, before I begin, I want to say that uh, from the outside looking in, I want to echo what Charlie just said. Um, your search committee, from our perspective, has been, I don't know, exemplary seems too small of a word. I'm not sure what word to use, but um, organized, communicated clearly, crisply, with great clarity, um, friendly. Uh, I don't know that I've said this, but to any of them, but we sure liked them right off the bat. And um, they have given more than a favorable impression of you as a church to us. So um, from our perspective, a more than commendable work they've done. So we're very grateful to them. I also want to say thank you to the Lord. Um, this has been... Um, <laughs> I say, Charlie, you, you should have started crying. Um, <laughs> Um, excuse me, uh, we are products of his grace, and uh, he has been incredibly gracious to us in getting us to this point. And uh, to, I was telling Pastor Steve earlier, it's, it's a bit of a dream to even be here this weekend, and we feel like we're floating through a dream, and uh, largely on the on the, uh, <clears throat> the foundation of his grace. So um, I told someone when I was in college, I ran for student government, and I was so nervous, I um, I had to give a speech in front of the student body, and when I stepped up to the to the podium, my my voice reverted back to its prepubescent state, and I <clears throat> I started to go up and down, and it was horrible. So I will I promise you. Well, I'm not going to promise you. I I will hope that I don't do that today. So um, let's open our Bibles, please, to Psalm 84. Psalm 84. <clears throat> Let's read it together, or I will read it, but read along with me. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrows find a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. My King... And my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in You. Amen. Amen. Let me pray before we go further. 
My Lord and my God, I pray that you would grant me grace today to preach your word in such a way that it is true to your word. Lord, let your word rise to the top. Let it dwell richly within us. Lord, let it infect our hearts. Let it dive deeply to where our motives are, where our desires are. Let it drill down where no one else sees. Lord, let your word do its work today. Grant us the grace to listen to your word. To hear it, and not just to hear it, but to be doers of it. Oh Lord, let us taste of it and see that it is good. Let it drive us. Let it constrain us. Let it power us. Let us be shaped by it today. Lord, let us be driven most of all today by your goodness to us. You are infinitely and incredibly good. Lord, let your word speak that to us today. Amen. Well, some of the most inspiring and tragic and aching of literature ever written is penned by the simple foot soldier. The simple foot soldier in a foxhole. Regardless of the side or the era, the ordinary man in the foxhole longing for home, right? So the poignancy and a a yearning rarely seen anywhere else. A Japanese soldier in World War II by the name of Manosuke Seda wrote this rather tragic letter home to his parents. I regret that I have been an atheist since my college days, now that I am wandering between life and death. It's not a question of what will happen to me after I die. I just feel that I'm missing something I can depend on. Now I understand the faith you both have. Please send me any book on religion. I just want to have peace of mind, even if it's temporary. Seda would die in action in 1945 at the age of 21. For so many people in America, their time on earth can be identified all too closely with those words penned by this soldier. Even those of us who claim the name of Christ can live lives of atheism, wandering between life and death. We we speak of our love for God, but we we feel that love and we manifest that love so so rarely sometimes. Questions of eternity are quickly dismissed just because we want some satisfaction now. We're missing out on something we can depend on, something that can only come from outside of us. We're missing that something that indeed does provide peace. Peace that transcends circumstance. And yet it provides so much more. Well, this psalm that we're going to look at this morning is kind of like a letter home. It's written by an ordinary doorkeeper in the temple, a son of Korah. Is your, the heading to your psalm might, in your Bible there might read. This is a, a love letter home to his God. He's somewhere else, separated from God's temple. And he can't return home. And he expresses a longing for his God that is perhaps unmatched in the Old Testament. So at times we may resonate with the passion, the longing of this letter. And at times, though, if we're honest with ourselves, we may find it strangely alien. Um, Some of us may sing right along with its tune of desire for God. And some of us, though, may stand at a different at a distance, wondering if it's all of this is just a bit too much. 
I hope, however, that as we behold the object of this longing, that we will understand just how natural it is for each and every one of us to have the same desire that's voiced here in this psalm. To have the same longing for God. And I hope that as this doorkeeper extols his God, that this God will leave an indelible impression upon you and upon me. That his grace and his goodness will once again stir us to love him more deeply. And that his grace and his goodness will leave us wondering why we don't desire him like this ordinary doorkeeper. I hope we'll be driven to find out why we've perhaps lost our appetite for God. This God that withholds nothing good from us. He withholds no good thing. I hope that each and every one of us can fully identify when we're done today with this man's deep yearnings. So as we walk through this servant's love letter home this morning, I want us to contemplate the reasons behind his, his aching for his God. Now there are, as I, as I read it, as I break it up, there are three stages to his longing. Appetite, dependence, and contentment. Appetite, dependence, and contentment. At each stage, and I, I want us to consider two things. First, what it is about this God that causes him to long for God in this way. What is it about God that causes this longing? And number two, how can we cultivate the same sense of res- the same response of longing to this God in our life, in my life, on Tuesday afternoon at the water cooler? <laughs> Uh, how is this going to, to drive my life? How should this shape and change my life? And as we consider this doorman's appetite, dependence, and contentment, the, the call today is to desire God, not just with our minds, but with our guts. <laughs> uh, he is a God who condescends graciously and closely. He rains down strength upon His beloved. And from those same beloved, He withholds no good thing. This is just the kind of God we have. This is just who He is. This God is worthy of our deepest longings above all others. Well, let's look today first at this this first stage of this longing that we should all work to cultivate and seek to cultivate an appetite for closeness with God. An appetite for closeness with God. Verses 1 through 4, it reads, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Well, the doorman describes uh, God's temple as lovely. It's the same sense of lovely that I would have used when when Annie and I, before we were married, were separated by a long distance and we wrote letters to each other and and uh, spent all of our paychecks on long-distance bills. That was before unlimited long-distance on cell phones. And, um, and I would describe her, her eyes, her hair, her hands as lovely. Was I in love with her hands, her eyes, her hair? Well, yes and no. <laughs> uh, I remembered them and their beauty because I longed to be with her. The doorkeeper longs to be close to his God. In verse 2, we see this even more clearly. But, but notice by what name he addresses God. The Lord of hosts. Maybe in your Bible it reads, the Lord Almighty. Considering the deep and tender love of this letter, it's, it's a surprising name that he uses. It's a name that refers to the awesome power of God who, who spoke the entire universe into existence and can call down like this, legions of angels to do his bidding. 
Yet this great God, this, this God of all awesome power comes close. For Israel, He condescended to rescue them from slavery and even provided a special place for His presence. Although even Solomon said when the temple was dedicated that you, God, you, you, you can't be held in this temple as great as it is. You are too big for any temple. The Lord of hosts acted first to come close to us. It is for this reason that the doorkeeper can, can speak in such an intimate way to God. In such a way that it, it is so close, so, so intimate. It's not because he's marshalling up some spiritual mojo. You know, to, he's not ginning this up within him. He's responding to who God is. This God who condescends to be known and to love. Well, I hope at this point we're already sensing the long shadow of the cross, even as the cross, <laughs> there's a shadow of this cross upon me. We too have every reason to address God in these terms. For God could not have come closer to us, coming as a man in utter humility, living and dying in our place, dying in the most humble way possible, that death on a cross. And our Lord Jesus, through the Spirit, every door is open to us to address our King just as this doorkeeper addresses the Lord of hosts. Now this same hand probably wrote uh, verse 2 as well as Psalm 42.2, which reads, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He felt this longing even in his bones. It literally made his body tired. The doorkeeper hungers for the, for the living God. It's an appetite for the living God. When we say that we long for God, I, I don't know, it's, it sounds almost too religious. I think we, we need to say that this doorman has an appetite for God. He hungers for God. It went far beyond religious ritual, far beyond the Sunday school answer. Um, if his bones could talk, they would agree with his mouth of his longing for God. Not just any God, the living God. In those days... The most valuable possession could actually be a, a spring of fresh water. And uh, water that was drinkable. And to this son of Korah, there is something even more desirable than food or water. The living God who provides water that satisfies completely. Now the doorman remembers something striking about this God in verse 3. Look there with me. The sparrows and the swallows. In Solomon's temple, when you approached the inner court, you would go through a doorway. And uh, the inner court was, was, was open to the air. So imagine this room except no roof. <laughs> and perhaps this doorman had been stationed there at one time at that, at that doorway opposite the temple. And as you walked in, the altar was on the right and, and the, the temple was actually straight, straight ahead. The Holy of Holies was straight ahead. And he probably was stationed there and probably remembers this, this moment of contrast when he's beholding the, the awesome power of the Lord of hosts dwelling in his presence in the temple straight ahead. And he probably heard a, a chirp, chirp, chirp right above him. Because in that doorway and in, in the walls, there were eaves. And it was a perfect place for a bird to make a nest. The Lord of hosts giving shelter, giving divine hospitality to the most worthless of animals, the, a little sparrow right above his head. Reminds us of Jesus' words in Luke 12. Are not five sparrows sold for a penny or for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. 
Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. The doorman does a comparison. He's got a bit of a holy jealousy for those, those birds that he remembers. He wishes he was those birds. And he thinks to himself, if the God of all power allows the most worthless of animals to come close to him to build a nest on the eaves of his temple, then surely I have a home there too. Closeness with God. Now perhaps you're thinking today, okay, you don't know my sin. I would much rather be the bird. (laughs) My sins are so bad. There's no way that I can make things right with God. The pile is just too high. It's teetering over me. I'm hopelessly overdrawn. I'm far, far underwater. Whatever analogy you want to make, that's me. Uh, I, I, I can never make things right with God. Well, I don't think it's any coincidence that the doorman mentions the altar where sacrifices were made to atone for sin, where the spotless lamb would be killed as a substitute for sin. The altar pointed forward to that day in Jerusalem when the perfect lamb, Jesus Christ, would be sacrificed for us so that we could come close, so that we could be forgiven. If you feel that you can never get right with God again because of what you've done, let me say first, you're right. You can't. (laughs) It is utterly impossible for you to make things right with God. Which is why Jesus came and was your substitute. He did what was utterly impossible for you or I to ever do in a million years. You can, by faith in Christ, come to God. You can come close. You can drop the weight of all of that sin and come to Him, not only as a forgiven rebel, but as a son or a daughter of the Lord of hosts. You can drop it all and enter His throne room utterly free. Utterly free. Well, verse 4 tells us of this, this kind of peace and, and what it results in. It results in a life of praise to God. But this is, a, this is an intimate praise. It's not something that's, again, that, that's ginned up by, by our, own, uh, our, our, our own efforts. Paul says in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It's the picture of a forgiven rebel being given access to the throne room of the very king that he rebelled against. We stand before him not because of anything we've done, but because of his amazing grace. We are no longer rebels against him but we are sons and daughters because he he was so for us. He could not be any more for us. He could not have come any closer to us. He has already done it. As Paul says later in Romans 8, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Every time I read that, I cannot believe that Paul actually wrote those words. Fellow heirs with Christ. I mean, I believe it, but I can't believe it. (laughs) Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. When I worked at the bank, an employee would come to me for something and there was always this distance between me and the employee because their performance 
uh, I was evaluating and I was, I was tracking, right? But when my children came in, it was altogether another story. When the, my children came to my desk, they would play in my chair and spin it around and eat suckers and draw on my, you know, sometimes let them draw on my reports. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to look at them anyway. Uh, um, um, the forgiven can approach God as sons, not as, a, not as an employee whose performance is being tracked as sons in freedom. Why are they blessed? Because they are in his house, because they're at peace with him, because they're protected under his wing, and because they share in all the privileges of being an heir to the king. We possess these, these privileges and these pleasures beyond measure because of what Christ has done. So church, how do we channel this longing here on the other side of the cross? What, what is this supposed to look like? Well, since we are now the temple of God, God has condescended to such a degree as to dwell within each believer. I encourage and exhort you this way, that our longing for God will show itself in our love for the brethren. Our longing for God will show itself in our love for the brethren. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. We live that out when we love within the body. I'm not talking about being nice in the hallway before and after the service. Um, I'm talking about foot washing kind of love. I'm talking about time consuming, dirty, inconvenient kind of love. I'm talking about loving the sparrows, loving the unlovable, loving those who bother you, (laughs) loving those who get under your skin. I'm talking about loving those who have sinned against you. Like Peter, Jesus washing Peter's feet. Or those who have betrayed you. Like Judas, Jesus washed his feet. Our vertical longing for God will show itself in our horizontal love in the church. So why do we not long for him like this doorkeeper? Why do we not have this appetite for closeness with God? Why is this sometimes so alien to our experience? Why do we read this and say, that's great, you know, for you? (laughs) Why? Well, let me share two possible causes. First, perhaps we simply don't preach the gospel to ourselves. We We don't say to ourselves what I've just shared with you. We go through the motions, but we don't take time often to simply consider the wondrous glory of the cross. And what Christ did there for me. (laughs) We don't find our identity right there at the foot of the cross. We find it other places. You name it. I'm sure you can. Possessions. Your job. uh, Relationships. All sorts of good things can turn into idols. Maybe right now you just need to step away from your your one year Bible for a week. And just, just walk through the Gospels again. Just watch the lamb go to the altar. Maybe you need to put down Oswald Chambers for a bit and find yourself in the story of, of the gospel. Well, secondly, it's, it's very likely, and I've already touched on this, that we simply love another. Our affections are elsewhere. Maybe there's nothing really wrong in your life, but there's this undercurrent of futility. At your core, you're in disorder. Our problem is often simply a problem of worship. We simply love another. So I encourage you, I exhort you, be ruthless with idols. 
Be ruthless. Especially idols of the heart where no one sees. Coveting, greed, lust. Maybe it means making a change that looks weird. Maybe even it looks weird to the people in this church. But be ruthless with idolatry like like the things that I've mentioned because they're consuming. They are consuming your appetite for the living God, for the only living God. So if the first stage of this longing then is that this internal appetite for God, the, the second stage displays an appetite to all the world. A dependence on the strength of God. A dependence on the strength of God. Verses 5 through 7. It reads, Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Now the doorkeeper can't go home. So he begins to think about those who are making their pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. Perhaps he's thinking of the two massive columns on the, on the porch of Solomon's temple. They each had a name. One was named Establish. The other one was named Strength. Establish Strength. God establishes strength for those who depend on Him, but as we're going to see, He does it in a very surprising way, in a way that only God can do it. The, verse, uh, the word in verse 6, Baka, means either a dry place or a place of weeping. Either way, it's a difficult place to travel through. The journey could be rough, either from lack of water or weather or sickness or violence from bandits. Um, it could be tough. But they are not overcome by their difficulties. He says they, they make the dry places a place of springs. They increase in strength as they go. And they leave behind them, despite their difficulties, a most unexpected trail, a trail of blessing. But this blessing is all of God as He graces their dependence upon Him. So the picture of verse 6 begins with the pilgrims digging for water in the desert, looking for springs in a dry place. But as they act upon the, in, de, in dependence upon the Lord, He blesses them with supply far beyond what they could ever accomplish. He covers the rain. He pours down rain and covers the ground with pools to satisfy their thirst. All around them, not only the pilgrims, but all around them are blessed by God's lavish blessing upon them. God does only what God can do. So why does he do this? Is it because the pilgrim has done all that he can? Does God help those who help themselves? No. <laughs> A hundred times, no. When you and I in our times of difficulty act in dependence on God, who gets the glory when God supplies the strength? God does. God gets the glory. John Piper said, the one who gives the strength gets the glory. I love that. The one who gives the strength gets the glory. The path to glorifying God in the midst of our trial and our difficulty is living in joyful dependence upon His strength. That is the path to, to being a blessing even in the midst of our trial. This is the path to being an overcomer. It's a funny thing that happens to pilgrims who depend on God for their strength. First, they grow as they go. They increase in strength as they go on their journey. And secondly, they look more and more like the one they're depending on. They look more and more like the one they're depending on. Paul described it this way to, to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. The image of the Lord from one degree of glory to another. And then Paul says this, For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we depend upon Him for strength, God is the one who gets this who gives the strength, and therefore it is God who gives the glory. God is the one who does the transforming into His likeness. So how do we behold His glory? By living lives of dependence upon Him. As we depend upon Him, He gives us strength. And as He gives us strength, we become more and more like Him and we look more and more like Him. And He receives glory as we depend upon Him. We glorify God in our hardest times. And our valleys of Baca. So the question comes up again. Am I a blessing to all around me? In the midst of my difficulties, do I leave a trail of blessing out of difficulty? Or am I simply overcome by my difficulties? If you answered yes to the second part, I have a, perhaps a few diagnoses. First, it, it could be that we simply don't need Him. Trials don't necessarily put humility into our hearts. Uh, but they often reveal the pride that's already there. We say, no, 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 Lord, I, I can handle this. I can handle this. I can do this. I can get myself out of this. Or perhaps we venture out only into those activities and those situations that, that we know that we can do ourselves. So when we go through the Valley of Baca, we really don't know what dependence upon God looks like. Take a look at your prayer list and ask this question. How big of a God is required to work through this list? Does it really demand a God that seeks to bring glory to himself? How big of a God will it take to move through this list? Or church, when we, when we consider our ministries, what promises of God, if any, do we need to learn, lean hard into for these ministries to succeed? Does it need a Lord of hosts <laughs> or a smaller God? Or in our own discipling of others? Are we willing to get close enough to people and be involved in their problems to such a degree that we're, we're willing to get to that point where we say, I have no idea. <laughs> Lord, I need you. I, need, I utterly need your strength. Are we willing to be involved in that kind of ministry? Are we willing to be dependent upon God in those situations? Are we willing to allow ourselves to be dependent upon God and His strength in those kinds of situations? And for those who are wavering today under the weight of the trial, I just want to encourage you from words from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40. Isaiah writes this, To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. I encourage you, lean hard into your God. Lean hard into Him. 
while the doorkeeper pauses in verses 8 and 9 to pray for the king, whom he calls, as a, he calls a shield in verse 9. O Lord, of, or Lord, excuse me, o Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. The ability of the doorkeeper to go up to Jerusalem and worship in the temple was contingent upon the king succeeding. If the king fell, so did the kingdom. If the kingdom fell, so did the temple. So he asked God to protect the king so that he can still sometime in the future go up there and and worship the Lord just as he's describing here. So how do we apply this? Does this this mean that we should pray for President Obama to to protect us? We should, right? We, We should pray for President Obama. But I don't think that that's the application here. The doorkeeper is praying for that which is necessary for him to worship God closely, to walk closely with God. What's necessary for us to walk closely with the Lord, to live lives of dependence upon Him? I think maybe we shouldn't pray for protection. Maybe we should pray for trouble. <laughs> because it seems like it's what trouble, it's trouble that what bring, it's what brings us close. It's what causes us to depend upon Him more. what causes us to hunger for him more when we see that the things that we've been leaning on prior to this point are not as good as we thought they were. (laughs) So out of this appetite to be close to God grows a dependence on the strength of God. And out of a dependence on the strength of God grows one more stage of longing, a, a contentment with the absolute goodness of God. Verses 10 through 12, a contentment with the absolute goodness of God. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in You. Well, it's easy to read that second sentence in verse 10, I think, the the part about being a doorkeeper without considering the verses before and after it. Because, uh, at least to my ears, by itself, the doorkeeper sounds like someone who deserves to be praised for his piety, his religiosity. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Um, but this is it's not, that's not true. This is just a man who truly knows what's best. The statement here literally says, I, w- I would rather stand at the doorway. To even be the guy at the very edge of the temple courts is better than fully enjoying the life of the wicked. What drives a person to this conclusion? I mean, what what, what causes a person to really do this math right? This is vitally important because the issue of contentment goes to the very heart of obedience in your life and mine. Well, this contentment is based on three things. Knowing who God is, knowing what He gives, And knowing what he withholds. Who is God? Verse 10 tells us quite simply that God is better than anything else. (laughs) He himself is the ultimate good. Peter expressed this beautifully when the crowds began to leave the Lord. And he asked the twelve if they would leave him too. Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You are it. 
Or Asaph in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? Or Paul in Philippians 3, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as trash, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Peter, Asaph, Paul, and the doorkeeper, they they were not heroic sacrificers. They're just men who had done the math right. They knew that what we leave behind to rest in the Lord is really nothing at all. God is simply the supreme good. But He is not just good. He is actively and powerfully good. We must understand this. He is not an impotent God. He is not a God who desires to do good but lacks the power to do it. This is the picture in verse 11 that God is a sun and a shield. He is the source of all good. He is the protector for us from all that is also not good. Yes, He is good, but He is the Lord of all the universe who is good. He's he's not like a politician who, who seeks to do good but is really impotent to really do good. Who promises but can't fulfill it. He is the only being who is completely good and possesses absolute power and pure will to do that good. What is good to God, He always does. That includes your life. (laughs) That includes my life. What does God give? It should not surprise us then. The doorkeeper says, favor and honor in verse 11. Favor and honor. Or we could use the words grace and glory. God is so interested, so invested in giving us everything that is good for us that He gave us His own Son. If we have trouble believing the words of this psalm, the proof is in the Son hanging on the cross. His favor was infinitely displayed on the cross. God dying, God Himself dying in our place. It wasn't just the judge dying for the offenders. It was the offended party dying in the place of the offenders. This is amazing grace. But not just grace, honor, or glory. In the New New Testament, these terms took on a deeper, a, a grander meaning. We've been given the honor of entering the king's throne room without fear, without trepidation. And we have this access not only because the offended died for the offender, but he made the offender the rebel, his own son or daughter. He didn't stop there, though. If a son, then an heir, and then if an heir co-heirs with Christ, heirs who will experience glory with Christ on the last day. So what does he give? (laughs) Everything, everything good that His pure nature will possibly allow Him to give us. Let me say that again. He gives us everything good that His pure nature will possibly allow Him to give us. Do you believe that, brother or sister? you believe that? That's your God. (laughs) And the proof, we see it standing at the foot of the cross. So what then does He withhold from us? As our shield, then, He actively, powerfully holds back all that is not good for us. God does that too. Nothing good does He withhold from us and He protects us from all that is not good. And the empty tomb 
is the proof that he has the power to do it. (laughs) The cross is the proof that he loves us. The empty tomb is the, the proof that he has the power to do it. But there's a caveat at the end of verse 11. It's not really a caveat, but it sounds like it at first. From those who walk uprightly. This word uprightly has a sense of having an undivided heart. A heart that is firmly trained, firmly fixed upon the Lord as the, the source of all that is good. It is, a, it is a, a fixation based on who God is. Based upon His goodness. Again, not because we're ginning something up within us, but because of who God is. And because we've been so, so enveloped in, in, in how good He is. In His nature. An undivided heart. He will give us all that is permissible for His character and nature to give us. The limiting factor then is not God's goodness. It is our sinfulness. The limiting factor then is not God's goodness. It is our sinfulness. As the Lord tells Israel in Psalm 81, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Or Jeremiah 5.25, your iniquities have turned these away and your sins have kept good from you. Well, if this all leaves you feeling a little bit helpless because you think to yourself, well, I'm a great big sinner, so what's... That's good. (laughs) We should feel helpless when we think about earning good before the Lord. Christ has already done it. (laughs) So we come back to this joyful trust that we have everything in Christ. (laughs) That He is our everything. Truly, as the doorkeeper says in verse 12, we are blessed if we trust in Him. This is the trust of leaning hard into God. This is the trust of resting with no cares in Christ's work on our behalf. This is the trust of peace through the spirit of peace who dwells within us. This is the trust of contentment, contentment in the goodness of God. Well, as we close, I would like to read some selected verses from Romans 8. They complete so beautifully and poignantly this this love letter home. And I hope my prayer is that these verses would be the sum and substance of our longing for God. Would you please turn there with me to Romans 8? I pray that these verses would be the sum and substance of our longing for God and looking for that day when He will return home. When He will return us home. When He will come for us. This is not our home. Verses 18 and 19. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. There's the longing. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's the longing. There's the hunger. Do you hunger like this? Does this describe you? Are you looking forward to your redemption, to, the, to that final stage of your adoption when it's final? And you see Him face to face? And you fully realize how good He is? You fully taste it. 
Verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There's the strength given to every believer through the Spirit. Lastly, verses 28 through 32. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Here it is. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Brothers and sisters, remind yourself of the Gospel. If you long for God, if you long for a greater longing for God, if you long to be close with God, if you long to live in a greater dependence upon His strength, if you long to be content in His goodness, remind yourself of the gospel. Well, believer, this goes to the this longing, this goes to the very core of who we are. Hebrews 9 tells us that Christ will return a second time, not to deal with sin. He returns a second time for those who are, Hebrews says, eagerly waiting for him. Are you eagerly waiting for him? Does this describe you? Do you long for him? Do you resemble this ordinary doorkeeper? Let's pray. Oh Lord, our, our Lord, our King, and our God, You've withheld nothing from us. You have given us Yourself. You are the supreme good, and yet You came to earth, walked as a man, lived a perfect life in our place, experienced all that we could ever experience, died a terrible death on a cross in our place, and rose again and united us to You so that we, may, we might walk in newness of life. You have given us everything. You are so good to us. You are good to us even now, this very moment. Lord, we praise You this morning. We praise You for Your goodness to us. We praise You for just who You are. May Your name be praised as we complete our worship today. May Your name be praised in our homes. May Your name be praised at our work out of our longing for You. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. In Your blessed and wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-943. 
1-800-242-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.